Father in heaven, thank you for this final session we can have here together. I pray that the Spirit of God would be with us as he has been throughout this weekend. Now, Lord, after experiencing the wonderful commitment that we saw in the baptism and the, the incredible rejoicing that happens not only here with the church family, but in heaven, whenever someone makes a commitment to Jesus, we pray that that will only spur our hearts to want to know more about personal ministries and soul winning, because this, Lord Jesus, is the mission that you have given us. So bless us now from heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So total member involvement, have you ever heard of that? Uh, there's a lot of places <laughs> that have not, but there are a whole lot of places that have, especially around the world church. Um, total member involvement is nothing new, okay? Um, in some ways, it was stolen from the personal ministries department and, <laughs> and made a big thing for the whole church. Um, but the reality is the personal ministries department has always been responsible for getting every member involved. Do you want me to prove it to you? How about the church manual? Church manual says, the personal ministries department is to, quote, enlist all members and children in some form of personal outreach service. That's total member involvement. That's always been our job. And, of course, I said in jest that it was taken. The reality is we are integrally involved in the total member involvement initiative at the General Conference, and it is simply putting another label on the mission that the church has always had, which is to have the lay people help join with officers in the finishing of the work. So that's a big part of our job. Now let me ask you a question. question is, if every member was involved in some form of personal outreach service, would the church grow? Well, that depends. The answer is that depends. This is a graphic representation of the personal ministries strategy for the world church. It's called Grow Your Church, and it illustrates the harvest cycle that Jesus gave us would be the methodology for winning souls. Jesus said that the sower would go forth to sow, and the sower, uh, or I'm sorry, the seed was representing the Word of God. He talked about the soil that it fell on representing the heart. He would later talk about how the harvest is great. And the Apostle Paul would pick up on it and say, He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully, but if you do so sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, etc. This imagery of the harvest cycle is what Jesus used to talk about how we grow the kingdom of God. And it helps us to understand that evangelism and soul winning is not an event. It is a process. We don't do evangelism per se, but evangelistic activity needs to be ongoing in a local church. And the reason that our churches fail to grow is often because they don't understand that every phase of the soul winning process is essential, such as preparing the soil. That's what that blue uh, icon is talking about at the top. First, you have to prepare the soil of the heart. How do you do that? By acts of kindness on a personal level. As a church, we might engage in compassionate ministry. We might minister to our community. We might meet uh, physical needs. We might be involved in comprehensive health ministry and medical missionary work, right? So it begins with meeting the needs of people and using Christ's method of establishing confidence among the people because soul winning is not so much 
about persuading people about the truth as much as it is about softening the heart to be open to receive the truth and lowering the defenses to where someone has a level of confidence in you. After you prepare the soil, though, no farmer ever prepared the soil just to leave it there. You have to plant seed. And you do that with literature, like the leaves of autumn, media that you can share, your own personal testimony, spiritual conversations, many different things you can do to plant the seed. And if I could just get on a literature soapbox for just a minute. Did you know that when thousands are converted in a day, most of them will trace their first convictions back to the reading of our publications? Most of them will trace their first convictions back to the reading of our publications. How is that going to happen unless the members of the church, I'm not talking about the coal porters, I'm not talking about the summer LEs, I'm talking about every member of the church distributing literature like the leaves of autumn. That's how people are going to get convictions from the reading of our publications. So literature is very important. In fact, Elamite says that the work of the fourth angel is to a great degree accomplished through our publishing houses. It's incredible. It really is. I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to have to move to another soapbox. So cultivating comes after you test the soil. You plant the seed. If there's an interest shown, then you need to cultivate that interest with ongoing Bible studies. And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, that to me, the greatest potential for growth in the Seventh-day Adventist Church is lay-given Bible studies. And I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about it in just a minute. After, though, you cultivate, you can't study with people forever. You have to bring them to decisions for Christ. They have to be called, appealed to. And that happens in both a personal level, and it can happen in public evangelistic meetings, where you make appeals, where you bring people to decision to follow Christ and ultimately to be baptized like we saw today. But after baptism, brothers and sisters, we cannot stop. We must preserve the harvest with a systematic discipleship plan for mentoring new members. That discipleship plan needs to include nurturing them and, and giving them more grounding in the truth, integrating them into the church, and ultimately training them to be soul winners themselves. If we do not make workers, we will never see our growth change from addition to multiplication. The reason that the church is not finishing the work in the, in, in the way that we know it's called to do is because it is still working on the plan of addition instead of the plan of multiplication. You baptize someone, then you move on to someone else who's not yet baptized. But wait a minute. You weren't called to make members. We were called to make disciples. We were called to make people who win other people. You're not finished until you make a worker. So after someone's baptized, there needs to be a systematic, intentional process that develops them into workers who win other souls. This is a huge missing link in the church. Now, what if you saw this cycle, right, and all the beautiful colors in it? We did it on purpose because we like color. It's pretty. But what if it was all gold? And all we did was harvest. Your church, all it did was public evangelism. Well, you might catch some wild strawberries and what have you. But if you don't sow seed, you're not going to reap, right? And if you do something like this without uh, ministering to the needs in the community, it could actually distort your witness and make people think that you're, you, know, you don't have the, their genuine uh, good in mind. Or what if it looked like this and all you ever did was prepare the soil? We have that with a lot of places where the emphasis is entirely on compassionate service. 
we're going to minister to this need and that need, but nobody is actually sharing the truth. You're preparing the soil all the time, but nobody is bridging it into the truth. So you could actually have every member involved, but if they're not involved in every phase or in the right way, in, in understanding it as the process is to be, then you're going to have growth problems. And you can see any, any element could be left out in a local church. I mentioned a few of these. So in the general conference, we have put forth five goals for every local church. And we are committed to training in these five goals. Number one, every church should have church-wide community ministries. By church-wide, I don't mean the, you know, three, uh, you know, dear elderly ladies who have been working at a community service center for 50 years and nobody else will help them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about them having the help of the church and having community projects that impact the whole community. That's why I really appreciate your total community involvement here. But secondly, you need to have active literature and media ministries. That's not talking about this little track rack that shows up in a church or, you know, a little rack that has all it has in it is Mission 360 and Adventist World. You know, our churches, you, you go into them and you can tell that they're about themselves because the literature is Adventist literature, like it's for Adventists. We need full message literature made available to our churches every week highlighted so that members are trained every week that they should be distributing literature. I, when I go into church, I do a full rack of 32 pocketbooks on every different decision topic and make it available to visitors and for members to share. I have a glow track rack with, with all the different uh, topics you can think of, or at least 12 or 16. And then I have a bookshelf that has all your full message books, like Desire of Ages and Great Controversy. Throw in something on the Sabbath, like when God says remember. Throw in some you know, good magazines that could be soul winning uh, in nature, that are outreach magazine, and make that literature available to the church. We're talking about an active literature media ministry. Put somebody in charge of it. Have literature projects that the church is being involved in and that, are, that they are actually setting goals for the church. Have your Sabbath schools set goals for literature distribution. I mean, literature is the message, and we've got to get the message out Active is what that word is. Vibrant Bible study ministry. Every church should be a Bible school. And it should have an, a vibrant Bible study ministry that involves the whole church. I'm going to give you an idea of how you can do that. Regular evangelistic meetings. I still believe that where it's legal, we should be holding public meetings. Because there are some things that you cannot do as well personally. Do you know that Ellen White says that if you could have but one part done, be it extensive meetings or the personal individual labor. Do you know what she says you should do? Individual labor. But then she says, but when both are combined, a more perfect and thorough work may be wrought. You see? We need to combine them. You need the whole cycle. And we should have regular evangelistic meetings. And then we need systematic discipleship ministry. I'm not talking about Hey, now that you're baptized, uh, we'll see you at Sabbath school and prayer meeting and hope for the best. No, I'm talking about 
a systematic process. Just like before baptism, you take someone through studies to make sure that you, you know, cover all the bases and you're systematically going through it. We need a systematic plan to take people beyond that and train them and disciple them after baptism. You missed a good chance to say amen there. Now, I'm going to talk for just a moment about vibrant Bible study ministry and then a moment about systematic discipleship, okay? And then I'm going to open it up for questions. First, vibrant Bible study ministry. Why do I have such a burden for this? Well, it all goes back to Brother Haskell. Elder Haskell, in the year 1882, was preaching at a camp meeting in Southern California. Not Northern California, but Southern California. And you think it doesn't rain here, it really doesn't rain there. But this particular camp meeting, there was this huge storm that came by, and he was preaching in a tent. And when you're preaching in a tent and a heavy wind and rainstorm comes, it is very difficult to hear a thing, especially when you're not mic'd up, right? This is 1882. So Elder Haskell's in there preaching. The wind is blowing. The rain is pouring down. The thunder is crashing. And they're thinking they're going to have to just close the meeting. But Brother Haskell is impressed by the Holy Spirit. And he comes down into the middle of the tent, you know, where the center pole is, and he asks everybody to gather close around him. And then he starts shouting out texts and questions. Uh, who gave the Bible? Uh, somebody read over here, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And then he turns over this side and asks a question and shouts out a text, and they read the text. And they were astonished that their questions were answered right from the Bible. It was answering the questions. And they were engaged because they were being involved and all the rest. And it had such a powerful impact that Elder W.C. White, who was the son of Ellen White, was there. He was moved by it. And he went to tell his mother about it. She was on the campground, but she wasn't at that meeting. And this is what she told him. She said, I'd like to talk to the ministers tomorrow. So the next day, she meets with Elder Haskell and the other ministers on the campground. And she says, God has shown me in vision a mighty reformation in which his people would be sharing the Bible with others in exactly this way, the way that Brother Haskell was in this meeting. Question, Bible answer. Question, Bible answer. I'll show you the quote. This is from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 126. In visions of the night, representations passed before me of a great reformatory movement among God's people. What did it look like? Hundreds and thousands were seen visiting families and opening before them the word of God. Hearts were convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and a spirit of genuine conversion was manifest on every side. Doors were thrown open to the proclamation of the truth. Hundreds and thousands were seen. Who are these? We're going we're gonna to ordain a lot more pastors. No. This is the great body of lay people in the Seventh-day Adventist Church being seen in vision, sharing the truth, using the Bible study method, question, Bible answer, question, Bible answer. It was so exciting to the people there. Elder Haskell was so charged by it that he started a 10-day training institute that fall called the Bible Reading Institute. Ever hear of Bible readings for the home circle? They began to invite people to send in question and answer Bible studies. And they put them in, in uh, you know, public forums, and they would read them out loud. And the first couple of them were on the Sabbath and the second coming, I believe. And they were both about 150 questions long. We don't give Bible studies like that anymore. Man, that was it. No, we've toned it down. But it's still the same principle. Question, Bible, answer. Question, Bible, answer. Letting the Bible answer 
their questions. And that's exactly what they did. And he, caused, he uh, called everybody to this training event in Battle Creek. And he put an advertisement in the signs of the times. He said, hey, whether you're, you know, male or female, old or young, hey, if your head is sprinkled with gray hairs, you're none too old to tell what God has done for you and to read the scriptures. What was his point? His point was, we have discovered it. You see, before that, when they spread the truth, the preachers would go and raise up a tent and invite everybody and preach. And they had some literature that they would distribute, some tracts. But now, here was a method of spreading the truth that could involve every layperson, and the work could be accomplished in a multiplied way because it was no longer dependent upon the ministers. That was the genius of the Bible study method. You thought, you just went in there, you saw amazing facts, it is written, and you know, somebody just thought that up. No, God gave us that. Because lay people can share the truth. In fact, lay people are called to share the truth, and if I had time, I'd give you a whole sermon on it. But just take my word for it. <laughs> for now, you can ask me later. I want to tell you about an opportunity to uh, do something like that. You need a Bible school in your church. In Michigan, I helped to develop this one. It's called BibleStudyOffer.com, and it's being used. I just, uh, who's in Washington? Tyler Long, right? Tyler Long's evangelism in Washington. Yeah, he just started it where like 30 of his churches in Washington are now signed up and participating. Here's how it works. It's just a website, BibleStudyOffer.com, but if you advertise it wherever you are and people sign up, as long as your church is signed up for it and you're a participating church, that interest, once they put in their address, immediately, if you're the closest participating church, gets given to you and you follow it up. And you can actually increase, generate Bible studies by pointing people to the website. So how do you do that? Well, when I was in Michigan, we trained every member should learn that when you have a visitor coming to your church, at the same time that you greet them, at the same time as you give them a nice little gift like a pen or a jar of jam or something like that, you can also say, uh, have you heard about our Bible school? Can you say that? Go ahead and try it. Have you heard about our Bible school? That's a non-intimidating question, isn't it? And yet every guest who comes into our churches can be offered Bible studies by simply asking, have you heard about our Bible school? And then you simply provide them with an intro pack that shows the first lessons that they get. And, and these are sold on the website for anyone who's a participating church. There are glow tracks that can be used to uh, distribute wherever you go. Put them with other glow tracks. There are racks that you can put up in waiting rooms. Uh, that, have, that advertise these Bible studies. There are yard signs that members can put in their yards. There are removable bumper stickers and magnets that you can put on vehicles. There are mailers that you can be sending in the mail. There are billboard graphics so you can put up billboards. You can, we need now, while it is still day, to find people who are looking for heaven. Ellen White says that there are many people, they're, they're trying to understand the true import of the scriptures, and they're looking wistfully to heaven. And she says this, many are on the verge of the kingdom waiting for what? Only to be gathered in. That's why the plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. Hundreds and thousands were seen giving Bible studies. Did she see you? Because she saw it in vision. It was a mighty reformation. As a church, we're praying, pleading, oh God, Revival and Reformation. Give us revival and reformation. But do we know what we're asking for? Because 
When the Reformation comes, the lay people will be sharing the truth. It's going to become a movement. Witnessing is not a spiritual gift. Okay? Sharing the truth is the calling of every disciple. You may at first start in a, in a small way, you know, but, but ultimately everybody has to have that burden of sharing the truth. In fact, Ellen White says, ministers should teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. In order to grow spiritually, all of us, as disciples of Christ, need to carry the burden the Lord has put on our hearts. And that burden is to lead souls into the truth. We need more lay-given Bible studies. It's a bottleneck in the Seventh-day Adventist church. It's a problem. The soul winning happens like a funnel, where at the top of the funnel, there's all sorts of th ways, and they're effective and they're important, that we prepare the soil. We do concerts, we do community service, we do health ministry, we do socials, we do various different ways to make connections with people in the community. But eventually, before anyone comes out and is baptized out of this funnel, they have to go through the neck of this thing. Everybody who becomes a Seventh-day Adventist has to have Bible studies. And yet, the vast majority of church members all want to work at the top of the funnel. And there's only a very small percentage that are willing to give Bible studies, which is the one area that everybody must have. If that funnel was opened up, can you imagine the potential, the exponential potential, if we didn't just have three or four people in a church giving Bible studies, but 30 or 40 people in the church giving Bible studies? I mean, think about it. This is incredible. We need to get going. Our lay people need to understand that they need a vibrant Bible study ministry in the church. You can either be trained to offer Bible studies, to invite to Bible studies, to host Bible studies, to give Bible studies. But everybody needs to be trained to do this. And uh, let me just tell you, there's really only three ways to get a Bible study. You know what they are? One, you can ask in the morning. Two, you can ask in the afternoon. Or three, you can ask in the evening. But you will ne never get a Bible study for which you do not offer or ask. And this is the number one problem we have in the church. We have no intention of giving Bible studies, so we're not offering and asking for Bible studies. We've got to fix it. We have a message. It's powerful. It's incredible. There are people who are waiting to be gathered in. Who are they? Where are they? We need to make sure that the offer is always on the table. The website is always open. If your local church wants to participate, participate in BibleStudyOffer.com, you just email me. And you say, here's the name of my conference, the name of my church, the physical address, the name of the coordinator, the email of the coordinator. And you, know, you email me and I'll tell you all those things again. And boom, I get you signed up. Your church is set up. Anyone within a 60-mile radius of your church who signs up for a Bible study on BibleStudyOffer.com will be sent to you. There's a manual, everything on the back end. You can order all your supplies right from the back end of the website. You're given a login, and boom, you're off and running. It's no longer a national whatever ministry. It's your local church ministry. You are BibleStudyOffer.com. And you go, and your church advertises it to try to get Bible studies. We need to start adding this to the arsenal of our total cycle of evangelism. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about in relation to this is systematic discipleship ministry. And I want to tell you that this is a great burden of mine. We need to have successful discipleship. We need to have certain things in place. Number one, everyone who is baptized should be assigned a mentor or a guardian, somebody who's responsible. 
Number two, they need to have an intentional way of helping them to develop new church friends. Number three, they need ongoing instruction. You need three phases of instruction. One is Bible study, two is baptismal preparation, and three is discipleship studies. And you can't leave out that third round. Number four, you need to help them develop spiritual habits. You take someone through a six-month discipleship plan and they're still not coming to Sabbath school or having uh, time with, alone with God, and you've not accomplished what you're trying. Discipleship must include the development of spiritual habits. There needs to be training and involvement in ministry. Ellen White says that the people who most need to be put to work are those who are newly come to the faith. And lastly, connect them with a body where they can have some close, intimate relationships. Sabbath schools, small groups, they must be connected with one. It's vital. Those six things you do, and it's going to be a blessing for you. We, at the General Conference, have published a resource that tries to incorporate all six of these. It's called the Discipleship Handbook. I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. But first I'm going to tell you that this is just one of many resources to try to, to help in all five of those goals for the local churches and all five of those phases, phases of evangelism. We want to develop resources that can help local churches. Here's what we're looking at for the whole series. The Discipleship Handbook is already published. Fundamentals of Faith, just next to it, is for the harvest phase, and that's to help prepare people for baptism, and that's close to being published. The Bible Study Handbook is going to be a thick book designed to train local church members on how to give Bible studies. It has both methodology and doctrinal uh, understanding and, and questions and things like that. Literature and Media Ministry Guide will help local churches know how to have a local church literature uh, ministry. And then Health and Community Outreach Handbook will help with preparing the soil. All of this, can be, you can be updated by going to grow.avenus.org. You could go there right now, and you could customize your own logo. logo. So you could have Grow Weimar. I didn't have that ready for today. But when I was just in Montana, they are starting Grow Montana. And there, you can, on the website, download a banner graphic for Grow Weimar or wherever your local church is. What we're looking at with the Grow model is total member involvement, which tells you that every member should be involved, being applied to the local church. That's what the GROW model is. It's applying total member involvement in the local church so that there can be real growth. Now, I just want to briefly tell you, um, has anybody seen this book, Discipleship Handbook? Fantastic. Uh, um, you have gone, some of you have gone through? Okay, I just saw... Two, okay, yeah, back when it was published out of Michigan. There's... Uh, a couple, for those of you who have seen this before, I'll just tell you that the mentor's guide is now an appendix in the back, so everything is in one volume. And this, uh, you'll see on the back, it's red because it's for the preserve phase, so it's part of the series that's being developed. And this is the kind of thing that if you had your two people who were baptized today, I don't know if either of them are here today, but what, what we would do, what this is, the way this is used, is you give it to the person who was baptized, you give it to a mentor that is, that is paired with them, and it has 26 chapters, and they go through every week they meet together. Now, you could give it to the new member and say, hey, go disciple yourself, and it just doesn't work that well. What made Jesus effective in discipleship was the time he invested in the disciples. So this is built around a weekly meeting so that you have this systematic time, even after baptisms, to help them get integrated into the church and into the work. So weekly, they're meeting, and they're going over various different topics. Meanwhile, in the back, there's an appendix that shows how the mentor is what they are to do in each meeting. 
And the mentor is encouraged to at different times, and the, and the new member knows this. It's part of the plan. We're going to help you get integrated in the church. We're going to introduce you to some new people. We're going to give you some different experiences, and they're outlined in here. At a certain point, you have them go along with you on an outreach activity. At a certain point, when you're talking about family worship, you invite them to your home for a Vespers to experience worship with you. Um, various different places, you have different things. At a certain point, you are encouraged to invite or uh, introduce them to a new church friend that they have not yet met, if, if that person still exists. When you talk about church organization, you give them a list of the current church officers so that they understand what the offices are and how that works and all that. So you're orienting them and you're integrating them to the church over this six-month process. 26 chapters equals 26 weeks. Six months of, of going through and mentoring them. Let me tell you briefly what's in the book in terms of the chapters. It talks about a chapter on discipleship, a chapter on the importance of the Bible, not for information, but for spiritual life, like to keep your spiritual life going. That's in the whole devotional life section. And when that happens, they are immediately asked to begin reading from the reading plan in the appendix. And there's a daily reading plan that is correlated with the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. So when you're reading about the Exodus, you're also reading in Patriarchs and Prophets a little passage about the Exodus. And it takes you through all the spirit of prophecy primary books, along with going all the way through the Bible. And it's all correlating the Bible with the spirit of prophecy. It's 15 to 20 minutes of reading a day and 15 minutes of prayer that we ask them to do. So we're encouraging them to spend at least 30 minutes a day in prayer and study in time alone with God, these new members. Now, if you go through the, the chapters, you've got a chapter on the importance of the Bible, the spirit of prophecy and its biblical uh, foundation and, and how the, the testimony of Jesus is fulfilled through the ministry of Ellen White, and it gives the biblical basis for the spirit of prophecy. It's called the testimony of Jesus. Secret prayer talks about how to pray, your private prayer, and gives you lessons from the prayer life of Jesus on how to pray. By Beholding talks about the importance of the devotional life for character development. The Family Altar talks about the importance of family worship and actually gives an outline of how to have family worship. Personal Witnessing talks, uh, has two, that's a section that has two chapters. One on our mission, the rise and identity of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and our special mission and how now that they're a new Seventh-day Adventist, it's their mission too. And then another chapter on Called to Witness that talks about how every disciple is called to witness. It's standard equipment. And then comes a section on church life. In church life, there's a chapter on sacred assemblies. This talks about the importance of what I call the ministry of attendance. Simply attending. This is one of the most important things you can build in a new member. Attend faithfully, even when you don't feel like it. Be that support that the church needs. You remember that when the Apostle Paul says we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, you remember that his reason is that we should consider one another. To stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. It's not just, we always tell them, hey, you're going to miss out on a blessing if you don't attend. No, you encourage the church. This is a ministry if you attend. You go to that evangelistic meeting, you are giving, it's a ministry. You go to Sabbath school, that's a ministry. Attendance is vital for the functioning of the church. It is the bedrock of the functioning of the church. And we need to help our new members understand the significance of attendance. You don't just bounce around to this church and that church and everything. We go over all that in here to orient them. Sacred ceremonies. We walk them through all the ordinances in a chapter that the church uh, does and why it does it in the biblical basis and what it looks like in, in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Weddings, funerals, baptisms, communion, ordination, anointing, child dedication. And then God of Order, that chapter talks about how the Bible shows that the church 
of Israel in the Old Testament was organized. God organized it. Very organized, awe-inspiringly organized. The New Testament church was organized, and the Seventh-day Adventist church, therefore, to follow the Bible, is organized. And it shows how the Seventh-day Adventist church is organized, the layers of organization, all the way down to the local church, and how they can be involved in the offices of the local church. Then, Only One Thing to Fear talks about Adventist history and how our church established its biblical foundations through Bible study and the confirmation of the spirit of prophecy. Then Tell It to the World talks about the breadth of the Adventist mission, education work, health work, literature work, media work. I don't know what I'm leaving out, but all the breadth of the, of the church's ministry. Then there's a whole section on Adventist lifestyle to affirm the new baptism, new uh, member in Adventist lifestyle. There's an overview chapter, then a chapter on Sabbath observance, how to keep the Sabbath, reverence, a chapter on stewardship, a chapter on health, a chapter on modesty, a chapter on uh, recreation and how to deal with modern you know, entertainment and that sort of thing, a chapter on marriage and family. And then the last five chapters, it's a whole section on the cycle of evangelism. We tell them how to prepare the soil by ministering to people's needs, ways to plant the seed, ways to cultivate, a 14-step point thing on how to give a Bible study and encourage them to go along with somebody and see how it's done, encourages them to be involved, how to appeal for decisions for harvest, and then ultimately the importance of mentoring people after they're baptized and tells them now that you've gone through this process with someone, we encourage you to take somebody else through that's newer than yourself. And there are some places, such as in Manchester, England, where they're on third and fourth generation, where they, somebody took somebody through this, and somebody took them through some, and then somebody else took somebody else through it. And what it's doing is it's training them how to give Bible studies. Because this is not a Bible study. It's easier than that in the sense that you, know, you read it together and then you answer questions. But it's the same idea. You're having these personal weekly meetings. You're getting the power of, of that personal connection. And it's the same thing that happens in personal Bible studies. So it's paving the way for many mentors. And if a mentor is going to be encouraging the people to have strong spiritual habits like prayer and Bible study and attendance and the rest, don't you think the mentors are going to be elevated a little bit too to make sure they recommit their own lives? Yeah, we need something like this in the church, don't we? Okay. How fast did I do that? Was that fast enough? Okay, and I have one right here that I'm going to give to Pastor McIntosh so that he has it. And uh, it's being translated right, oh, it's been translated, it's being edited right now in Spanish, it's being edited right now in French, and there will be other translations that will come. It's, you know, it's, it's now global because it's been published through the General Conference, through the Review and Herald, so Chinese Union Mission is translating it. Uh, we've got several translations that are going right now because it's just recently been published. But we want you to know that this is a real good tool for your local church. If you don't, let me put it this way. If you already have a plan in your local church that is intentional and systematic and every new member who's baptized is taken through that plan and includes a mentor, it includes established spiritual habits, it includes grounding them in the truth, it includes getting them involved in soul winning, if you have that plan already, then bless you. If you don't, then use this or use something else that does the same thing, but don't let people be baptized and not be intentionally discipled. That time is gone. We are to the point where we've got to finish the work. And the only way that's going to happen is if we keep that loop going and we train people. Ellen White says, all the sermons preached have not developed a large class of self-denying workers. Churches are withering up because they are failing to diffuse light. We need to develop self-denying workers, which is another word for a disciple, right? 
Because if you follow Jesus, you deny yourself. If you follow Jesus, you're a fisher of men. We need self-denying workers. We need disciples. And we've been making members, but not disciples. And it's, it's important. It's critical. So those are just two areas. I just touched on two of the five to give you some resources and some passion and some burden. I pray that you'll go check out the website, grow.adventist.org. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.